Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Lost and Lifting Talk. Today, we have another Q&A episode that we're going to hop into with Alex. If you guys haven't gotten familiar with Alex yet, he's been on, I believe, two or three episodes so far. Two or three. I think three. Yeah, three Q&As. Um, this is something that we're going to continue to do every, bi-weekly, bring Alex on to, to, to do some questions with you guys. He's the other coach inside of Lost and Lifting at the moment. Um, so yeah, we're going to hop into a few questions today and help you guys out. We got a bunch of questions come through through our through my IG story in this last weekend. So we're going to hop into those shortly. But before we hop into that, I've got just a couple announcements that I want to quickly run by all of you just as a heads up. As for all of you avid listeners who have been a part of the show for quite some time, you know that as we started producing content on the podcast that we started with just one episode per week. Then we slowly moved to two episodes per week and we were dropping episodes every Tuesday and Thursday through the rest of this year. We're going to actually pull back just slightly and we're going to move back to just one episode per week, which is, I haven't necessarily decided yet. Well, I'm actually going to make that decision right here to hold myself accountable to it. We're going to start um, dropping the episode every single Tuesday. I was debating Tuesday or Thursday because that's how episodes were coming out previously, but we're going to start just dropping one episode per week on Tuesday of each week through the remainder of this year. And then we'll reassess it at the end of the year and look at going back to two. But just for now, we need to pull back just a little bit, just because to be quite frank with you guys, sometimes producing podcasts, producing tons of content on social media, coaching the business, everything that we have going on, there's just a lot happening. And sometimes you have to prioritize your energy to specific areas. And at the moment I've made the decision to pull back and just do one episode per week. I know that will bump some of you guys out, but stick with me as everything kind of settles. Um, we start to get more time back. We'll absolutely move that back to two, but for the next couple of months, like I said, there'll be one podcast dropping every single Tuesday. So expect that. And then number two, all that I have for you guys is if you're enjoying the show, if you have found a lot of value from the show, if you have taken tips that we've given you and you've been able to implement them into your own journey and you've been able to create better progress as a result of that in any sort of way. As you know, we don't do any sponsorships on this show. We don't try to drive any revenue or anything like that. We're just here to purely help you guys be able to get better results and support you in your own training and your own nutrition. So if you are finding that value from here, we would be really, really appreciative if you would go down below, if you're listening to the show through iTunes and leave the show a written review, as well as a star rating. What that does is just helps us be able to rank higher in terms of all of the podcasts to be able to continue to push more viewership to the show to keep us producing over the long term. So um, with that, that's really all the only couple of announcements that I have going on for this week. Alex, how are things going for you, man? They are going well. It's finally my favorite time of the year. We got like that kind of crisp fall weather, like high 70s, like low 80s, not too cold, not too hot. So it's kind of like warming up to that. It's 
Yeah, my, my, my favorite time of the year. So things are going well over here. Good, man. Me too, actually. Um, like I said, I live in Southern Utah and the summers here are the sum. This is my first summer living down here and it was absolutely brutal. It was like 110 to 120 degrees, which for me, I don't vibe well with that. I like to be outside. And I, the worst feeling I have is being super hot. So it drove me nuts, but now it's starting to cool down here as well. It's like the mornings are like 50s, 60s. The afternoons get to like 70s, 80s, sometimes 90s, but I uh, can be outside. My wife and I actually just went last night and bought some new trail bikes so that we can start getting back outside and getting out, riding bikes, doing some cool stuff like that together as well. So I'm super pumped this time of year as well. Summers are are awesome st george where i'm at i don't really love them back in idaho they were amazing where we came from last year but uh this time of year is amazing man it, it makes me happy too it just makes my heart happy just to know like that crisp air being able to wear like flannel shirts put on a beanie like that's just my style what was the um, how hot does it get in st george over the summer like it's over 100 right oh yeah dude it was yeah. um the hottest that i saw it got this year was like i think it was like 122 when I was in, my oh, yeah, that's hot. oh yeah, it was, it's like, it's so hot that you walk outside and it's not like a, a humid hot, right. To where it's like, you just start sweating. It's like a, it's like an oven hot. Like it's just extremely, extremely dry. And so like you walk out into, and it just kind of like, I don't even know how to explain it. It just hits you like a, a brick wall. It's yeah, it's miserable this year. They were saying this year was probably one of the hottest summers that they've had in a, in a very long time. Like even right into May, it was starting to hit like 115, 120. And I was, I was dying, but it's first starting to get some relief. So, so it's nice, but in St. Louis, what's it like there? You guys, do you get snow in the winter? That might be a dumb question, but I have, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we get snow in what happens a lot of the years is We'll go from summer, we get this like nice weather, like 60s, kind of, you know, high 70s, which kind of like right now, it's actually been hotter than um, usual. We actually had a 90 degree day, I think this, I mean, even like yesterday, which is kind of unusual for this time of year, but we have a couple weeks of like 60s, 70s, and next thing you notice goes from this really good weather to just freezing cold, it? or it'll stay really warm up until like, you know, like November, so it's it's kind of like one or the other, or it just kind of goes back and forth. We're kind of one of those states where it's just like you wake up one day and it's like 80 degrees. The next thing you wake up and it's like 40 degrees the next day. And like, you don't know which one, you know, which one is going to be, yeah, but we yeah. do get a lot. Like we are, I, I should say we can get a lot of snow and there's some years that we don't get any snow like whatsoever. So it's just really just kind of hit or miss depending on um, the year. And then, after winter, they, it, it comes back and, you know, we go into spring, have a few nice weeks of weather when it comes to spring and then back to scorching heat. Okay. So. What about, um, for, for those of you that um, haven't heard much about Alex's story, go back and listen to a, the first episode that we did, which is probably like a month, month and a half ago at this point. I don't know the exact date, but Alex is originally from Iceland. Um, which is like kind of a cool story. I always get a kick out of that. I think for that super dope. But what about what about there? How how much of the year is there snow on the ground while you're while you're there? Is it the majority of the time, or what's the weather I mean, like? They, there? they can get snow. I mean, I want to say even as as early as like like October. Like sometimes they like right. it'll start snowing in like in October. But the weather over there, it's. I think people think it gets a lot colder than it does where I would actually say it gets colder here, but for shorter periods of time. So like 
say for example, it's like snowing, we might have, you know, three or four days here of just freezing, freezing cold weather and it stops snowing. Mm-hmm. Iceland, it's kind of more so like it'll snow for like three straight weeks, but it's not as cold. It's just more of like a kind of a consistent snow and the consistent cold rather than freezing, freezing cold, warm for a little bit, freezing, freezing cold, warm for a little bit. But when it snows, like because it's so consistent, actually a funny story. I want to say this was maybe like six, seven years ago. I could be wrong, but I have two friends that I, that I know from growing up there who live two houses apart. So as imagine, for example, like you live in the cul-de-sac of a subdivision and your friend, your best friend lives two houses, you know, across from you. And it snowed so much that my friend had spent the night at his friend's house and the amount of snow that they got, they got snowed in the house because it was actually like up above like the door and like they physically couldn't get out the house because of like how much it snowed. Dang. That's, it's just like, that's like the movies when you see like yeah. the snow days. Over cars. So like, yeah, they can get a lot of snow. Like, I mean, it'll be enough where like, you know, you might not get out of your house for a little bit of time. So you kind of want to make sure that you're stocked up if that's, you know, about to come. But yeah, not as cold, but a more consistent cold, I would yeah. say. It's more of the the wilderness. I, I said that mm-hmm. in the last podcast, but I really want to, I really want to visit there, especially after seeing your last trip there. Um, and just all of the, the videos and stuff that you're putting on your mm-hmm. IG story. It looks absolutely amazing. It looks super chill too. Like just yeah. kind of, is that, is, is that how it is? Or is that just kind of like what I perceive? Like it's pretty like laid back, like very pretty scenery. Are, are the people pretty laid back as well? Or like, what's the, what's the culture like? I feel like people there and I, I could be wrong, but like from what I sense, like when I'm over there, I feel like people are just like happier in general. Like it's just like a very, there's like happy place. Um, I feel like I looked up not too long ago, like there's like, like, you know, what countries like have like the highest like satisfaction or like, you know, like how happy are you? I watched a YouTube video on that just like a few days ago. I think, I don't know if Iceland's up there or not, but like I feel like I remember like hearing at some point, like it was up there and yeah, I think it's um, pretty like laid back, especially kind of when you get on to like driving around, around the coast, it's just so like open and just, you know, like you, you saw my videos where it's just a bunch of just like open like farmland or just like land in general, there's like waterfalls and there's tons of like open, open fields. And just, it's like a very nice it's relaxing, but it can also be a very adventurous thing at the same time. It's kind of like a mix of, you know, you go, go, go all day. You find a nice little kind of cabin in the middle of nowhere. And then it's just the most peaceful thing in the entire world. You wake up and you're on the go again the next day. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is if you look at the weather over there in the summer, kind of switching back to the weather a little bit. um, If you look at my pictures, I don't know if you realized. So we went in, in uh, June, we're actually wearing jackets in a lot of our um, yeah. pictures just because it never like, really gets that warm. So we're wearing like hats and gloves and jackets and like rain pants, all different things. So like it never really gets very, very warm either. Like 60 degrees over there would be like, holy crap, like this is burning hot. That's insane. Yeah, I would uh, I would love to to visit there at some point. Something that's interesting about that too, like asking about the culture and getting a, a bit of an understanding of like what the the people are like 
and how you mentioned that they just genuinely seem a lot happier, which is like, it's from my perception anyway, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I always feel like the places that I go that are less populated or like just less marketed, less like materialistic. And maybe I'm completely like, maybe that's just like my misconception of what it's probably like there, but like not as like city focused, not as market focused, not as like money focused, like that brings all of the stresses of life. You know what I mean? Like always like more, more, more keeping up with the Joneses, like the next best thing that's always coming out that always keeps people kind of in this stress place of like, oh, I don't have this or I don't have that X because like marketing is always doing that to us psychologically. Like you need this to be happy. You need that to be happy. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's so ingrained in us in the US. And when you go to some of these other countries, like even when I go down to Mexico or or places like that, um, it just, just the people genuinely seem happier and not as stressed out as opposed to like a lot of what you see in the States. And I've always kind of correlated it to that. Like they're not in this mode of like the next thing. And I've seen that same thing in my own life. Like I've gone through periods of, of like always wanting the next thing, always needing more money, always needing this so that I can buy X as opposed to like the complete opposite of trying to go more of like a minimalist approach with like not needing to go to the store to buy new clothes, like just being happy with what I have, going to the grocery store and getting the same food, like just not always needing the next thing that's going to lead to the next dopamine hit and being okay with what I've currently have. It keeps me in such a more content place. And for some reason, like in my mind, when I think Iceland or some of those more like desolated countries that are just not as populated with less people and it's just extremely pretty, like that's what I always kind of imagine those people being like if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but yeah that's kind of a rant that has nothing to do with anything but uh, I'm just super interested in Iceland dude I really want to go over there but uh yeah let's hop into some questions for all of you guys listening to us rant I apologize I know you've got some questions here we have four questions we are going to for sure for sure get into at least three of the questions if we have a little bit of extra time we will hop into the fourth question as well but um Let's just get started with it. So the first question that we have for today is a very common question that comes up all of the time in our in the Q&As that, that I post up on IG. So I figured that we could address it here in a little bit of a longer form, which is just simply, what is the best way to lean bulk? And this is coming from um, a woman that's asking this question, which is actually really cool in my opinion, because I feel like there's been a dogma so for so many years like especially since i've been coaching about for and I, just with women thinking that like oh going into a bulk is scary i'm going to put on a lot of body fat you know what i mean that like that's not something that i should ever really focus on doing and the reason i bring up women is because that's who we mainly work with that's who alex specializes in working with i work with a, a lot of ladies as well we do work with men too but the majority of people that we work with um that come through are a lot of ladies so um just even asking that question for you guys starting to build awareness around understanding like bulking phases cutting phases maintenance phases is super super cool and, and shows that a lot of you guys are learning from the show too which is awesome so um that's the question, man. What is the best way to lean bulk? Kind of general, but give us your rundown. I agree. First off, I think it's a super cool question that, you know, that you're taking the time to actually lean bulk because it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people get stuck in this, like the diet, diet, diet mindset, not realizing like, like once you diet, it's like you actually need the muscle to have that lean tone look that like most people are after. But 
as far as like lean bulking goes, um, I would assume that if you're looking at like lean bulking, you've probably already know what maintenance is, what the deficit is. And so from there, I would typically just, just to kind of keep it simple, I would start with a very simple, just like 100, 200 calorie bump up above maintenance and just see how your body reacts for the first few weeks. And what I like to kind of aim for as far as like a, like a weight gain kind of goal would be between like 0.25 to like half a percent per pound of body weight per week, which would be like one to 2% uh, per pound of body weight gained in a month. And that way we're kind of, you know, we're helping minimize fat gain and we're trying to keep it like the point of a lean bulk is to keep it mostly lean. And that's a big thing that kind of freaks a lot of people out when it comes to bulking is the fear of gaining too much excess body fat. So by keeping it kind of on like the, you know, slower side, it kind of helps with not just keeping the, like the, uh, what's it called? The weight added more, just kind of, you know, more bias towards muscle. It also helps with the mindset part of things, just knowing that you're not gaining weight too quickly. We're just going to put you in a bad headspace and make you want to enter a diet one month after like lean bulking. Yeah, I would agree. I think the first thing that you have to understand, and this is something that I run into with a lot of the ladies that, that I work with that a lean bulk becomes necessary because they're wanting to improve their body composition long haul, but you just can't always get there through even being at a maintenance or in a deficit. You have to actively feed your body more calories than your body is, is burning on a day-to-day basis to add more lean muscle tissue to your frame. So that as you go through a deficit in the future, um, you're going to have more definition underneath, but something that you have to just accept right from the start is that the goal over the next, let's say three to six months of eating in that small surplus isn't to physically look better, right? Nobody's really going, nobody's going to go through a lean bulk and be putting on weight and necessarily like have more muscle definition or look leaner throughout that process. You have to realize that it's a long-term investment. It's a long-term play. It's just like throwing some money into the stock market and doing that consistently on a week to week or a month to month basis, whenever you get a paycheck, you're not going to throw that money in and you're not going to see a big return on that money in one, two, three, four, five, six months. But if you give it a year, maybe two years, maybe three years, you go back in and look and you'll see, start to see that most likely that money starting to, to multiply and make money on top of itself. And you're seeing a return on that investment. Same thing with lean, with lean bulking or going into a small surplus. You're not doing it to look better in the short term. You're doing it one to one. It's going to strengthen your metabolism, which is going to make fat loss easier in the future. Because if you're adding more lean muscle definition to your frame, if you're optimizing your hormonal rate, getting that into a very good position with your hunger levels, um, all that kind of stuff, it's going to just put you in a better position in the future to be able to go through another fat loss phase and be more successful. But three, it's going to allow you to add more muscle definition to your frame so that as you go through that next fat loss phase, you do have more shape and more definition on your frame. But you have to accept that to be able to get to that point, the lean bulk is like, if we were to sit here and say, oh, we've got like the magic sauce or the secret formula to just put on muscle without gaining any body fat during that process, whoever's telling you that, excuse my French, but it's full of shit because it's not possible. If you're in a a, a newer to training or you haven't been doing things optimally, and maybe like you're in a prime position to be able to recomp, which is its 
whole a whole other subject that we could do an entire podcast on that obviously honestly we should because i see alex be able to be pretty successful with that with a lot of his own clients that we can hop into that at a later point but if you're a more advanced individual and the only way to continue progressing your body you've been through the recomp phase you've gone through diets and at this point you still don't look the way that you want when you're as lean as you want to be you have to accept that you're going to put on a little bit of body fat over a three to six month period whilst training really hard, making sure you're eating enough protein, really focusing on recovery and accepting that, okay, I'm not going to look my best in the next three to six months, but this time of, of doing these things diligently, investing my time into this is going to set me up for the next three to six months afterwards. So let's say in the next nine to 12 months to be at my absolute best body composition with a stronger metabolism, with a better hormonal profile and with the actual level of definition, the muscle definition on my frame that I was hoping to have while keeping your hormones in a, in a good position as well, as opposed to just always trying to diet or always trying to recomp at maintenance, which can happen, but it's going to be a much, much slower process. So, um, I think that you absolutely nailed it, but I just think you have to go into it being okay with everybody wants to go into fitness or like work out really hard and they want to see the results for it. Like right afterwards, right? We want to be working out. And then like two months, we'll be like, yeah, like I, I look my best, but that's not the, the more advanced you get, the more you have to get away from that mindset. And the more long-term you have to look at things when it comes to, to bulking and understand a little bit of fat gain is absolutely necessary. Just as, as Alex said, I think going for like somewhere between, I generally like to say somewhere between like 0.5 to 2% of total body weight gained per month on average. I would say like if you're newer to training and, and you have some weight that you need to gain because you're extremely skinny or or your hormones are in, in a really poor position because you're too lean or whatever it may be, aiming for the higher end of that range per month makes a lot more sense. Or if you're more advanced, you're wanting to hold on to more of your um, your leanness, let's say you're not going to be able to build muscle as at a quick of a rate because maybe you already have a decent amount of muscle on your frame. You're just trying to get to that very advanced stage, then aiming for even a slower gain and going around somewhere like 0.5 to 1% of total body weight gain per month is a good average to be shooting for. And that's something to remember as well. The, the newer that you are to training, the more, more likely you are going to be able to build muscle at a faster rate, especially in, in a, a small surplus. And the more advanced you are as a trainee, the slower that process is going to be. So the slower you should try to gain or actually just going to accumulate extra body fat that's not necessarily needed. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And, and another thing there, just like to quickly touch on when you like you say lean bulk, like we when you're saying lean bulk, all you're basically saying is just like you want to try to hold as much leanness as possible while building muscle. If you go too slow, you're probably sabotaging yourself. Like if you try to go too fast and think like, oh, I'm just going to dirty bulk. And I've done that myself a few times in the past and just end up accumulating a lot more body fat that, than is necessary. And there's even a lot of research to show that like you can't, it, the, the faster you try to gain weight doesn't mean the faster that you're going to build muscle. So like, you don't need to go into a three, four, five, six, seven, 800,000 calorie surplus, and you're going to build muscle at a faster rate than you are at like a hundred to 200 calorie surplus. So, um, yeah, that's basically, do you have any other thoughts on that? That, that pretty much hits everything that my brain triggers. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of my, one of my favorite sayings when it comes to lean bulking is just, or just, I guess kind of when it comes to bulking versus like dieting, it's the more time you spend out of a deficit, 
the better you'll respond when you actually get to that deficit phase. So when you're like thinking about lean bulking, like you said, at least the most important thing is at least three months, six months, if not even like, you know, maybe they, maybe even like a year Mm -hmm. and you'd be really surprised because building muscle, it's a much slower process than it is to like diet down. So I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in the mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to do this for like eight weeks, 12 weeks and be done. When in reality, they should be spending months and months and months, like, you know, half the year, three fourths of the year doing it to really see a noticeable difference in their physique when it comes to the next deficit phase. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I would say like somebody newer really wanting to get their body composition, like a good amount of muscle, with a decent amount of leanness, like you should probably be taking three fourths of the year at least to be in like either at maintenance or in a slight surplus, ideally the most of that time being in a slight surplus, if you're still wanting to see improvements and then like that last fourth of the year can potentially be in a, in a cutting phase. And that's what the majority of time should look like until you get to a body composition that you feel really good in and you just want to sustain, then you can start living more at a maintenance uh, level of calories long-term and learn how to sustain that eating in more of an intuitive manner. But up until that point, I would agree. You should be spending a lot more time, um, in a slight, as long as your body fat levels are in a healthy spot, obviously, but you should be spending a lot more time in a surplus or maintenance than you should be in a deficit. And if you're not like you're, you're looking at this whole thing short-sighted, I would say. I agree. I think that's my thoughts on that. I don't got any more. Cool. I agree, man. So let's hop into the next question. It is, I've been eating 2,200 calories and I'm losing one pound per week for the last three weeks. I am a female. Does 2,200 calories seem too high? I think that's awesome that (laughs) someone's eating 2,200 calories because like that is something that I think scares the living out of people when it comes to like eating. I don't know what it is, but something about when I'm giving clients calories, like 1,800, fine, 1,900, fine. But something about that, like the 2,000 calorie mark, people are just like, oh, like 2000. And this is like, I think like, well, first I was going to answer your question and say that if you're losing one pound of, you know, one pound per week, I think that's a great, you know, a great rate of progress. You know, I kind of like to aim for, a lot of people kind of go off one to two pounds per week, kind of say that's um, a good rate. I personally kind of like basing it more off overall body weight. So someone who's heavier can afford to lose weight at a quicker rate. So I'll kind of go 0.5 to 1% per pound of body weight per week. Um, but if you're losing weight, it, like if that's kind of falling within that rate, I think that's totally fine. And if you're seeing progress at that amount of calories and you're feeling good and you can eat and you're feeling your workouts, you're feeling strong, you're recovering well, sleeping well, all certain things, ride that out as long as you can and don't adjust just for the sake of adjusting because it feels too easy. Like it's allowed to feel easy and there's something wrong with that. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I think people have this idea of like, everybody should be eating a certain amount of calories. And like, just like they think, oh, 2,200 calories, that's a lot of calories. That's too high, but I'm making progress. Like there might be something wrong, right? Because Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe this person who I know had to eat only 1800 or 1700 calories to lose around one to two pounds per week. So like I should probably be eating that same amount when what you don't realize is everybody's metabolisms and bodies and hormonal profiles are going to be 
extremely, extremely different. Right. And so like, I always like to go off of, you should be trying to eat. The goal should be to eat as much as you possibly can. That still induces the result that you want to induce when it comes to fat loss. Right. And just as Mm -hmm. Alex said, the goal, that's kind of what I like to shoot for too. It depends on the individual, but, but typically I'm looking for somewhere between like 0.5 to 1% of total body weight loss per week. If we're trying to lose in that range and like somebody's hunger levels are too high, then I'll just pull it back. Let's say it's like a 200, 300 pound individual. Then I'll just pull it back and be like, all right, we're just shooting for simply like 0.75 to 1.5 pounds loss per week on average. Um, and kind of get away from that mentality. But I think that both work really well. And I, I use both as well, just depending on the individual, but like, that's something that you want to keep in mind. If you can lose on 2,200 calories per day, that just means that you have a strong metabolism and like you're in a, a very, very good position. You're doing nothing wrong by any means. That just means that again, your body's probably burning on average somewhere around like 25 to 2,800 calories per day. And so your deficit is around that 2,200 calories. If you wanted to get a little bit more aggressive, you absolutely could, you could decrease calories a little bit more, but something that you have to keep in mind there is the further that you decrease calories, the more your hunger levels are going to rise, which could, could potentially make that more unsustainable. And that's something that we do um, in coaching people is on a week to week basis as we're taking them through check-ins, we're looking at their rate of progress in terms of like weigh-ins, measurements, photos, adherence, what's all that that's looking like. But then on the back end of that, what we're also looking at is biofeedback. So we're looking at stress levels. We're looking at sleep. We're looking at recovery. We're looking at hunger levels. um, We're looking at energy levels. We're looking at their motivation levels, which can all be dictated by how big of a deficit that you put yourself in. Right. And so if you're losing around that one pound per week, you're eating 2,200 calories. And let's say that your stress levels aren't too bad because it's a decent amount of food. You feel good. It's sustainable for you. Your energy levels are still okay. Your hunger levels are, are manageable. Like it's not too much for you um, as well as your energy is feeling okay. And your motivation is there. Well, I would say that 2,200 calories is, is perfect. There's no reason to really make any adjustments to anything, right? You should just continue to try to lose there and, and soak that out for as long as you can until you need to make an adjustment because that's probably a sustainable rate to be losing at. On the other side of that, what I would say is, okay, say you're losing like that one pound per week. Let's say you're still very full. All of your biofeedback is at an amazing spot but you're like, I would like to just push this a little bit faster because I don't want to have to continue to diet for a long time. I want to go at a little bit of a faster rate and your biofeedback is in a good place. Well, then I would say, all right, well, let's, let's maybe drop that down. Let's go to 2000 and maybe 2,100 calories per day. We'll continue to track your progress, see how it's coming back, apply that with your biofeedback, see how your biofeedback is coming back. And as long as everything stays positive and in that manner, then you're okay. You're still creating a sustainable result. But when we get to the point, if you're starting a diet and let's say you could be losing on 2,200, calories and successfully losing one pound per week. But let's say that you drop down to 1700 to 1800 calories because you want to lose fast. But now all of a sudden your stress is a lot higher because it's a lot harder to stay adherent to your diet. And there's a lot less in terms of food choices. Your energy is worse. Your hunger levels are a lot higher. Um, you're not recovering as well from in the gym, but you're losing at a faster rate. Well, that's a price that you have to be willing to pay. And you're not gonna be able to diet for as long because it's not going to be as sustainable. Right. So it kind of comes down to just understanding, okay, 
paying attention to my biofeedback, paying attention to how my body is responding to what I'm doing, and then finding that happy medium for my specific situation and where my calories should be. And there's never like just a generic, oh, I'm eating 2,200 calories, losing one pound of weight per week. Like that's just too high. Like that doesn't make sense. You have to get context and pull back the, the layers to understand, okay, where's biofeedback at paired with progress? What adjustments can I make that are going to be intelligent that are going to make sure that what I'm doing is sustainable to be able to get to that long-term result in a way that's in a timely manner, but at the same time, not running my body in the ground to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's something that I, I tell a lot of my clients, because you mentioned, you know, something we kind of look at in the weekly check-ins is their biofeedback. And it's, I tell my clients when, when they first start, we have a game plan, we have an overview here's your primer phase, here's your deficit phase, you know, here's your reverse phase, all these different things. And we can give a rough overview of roughly like how long it's going to take you to get to your goal. But what I tell them is this is a very rough draft. What's going to determine what happens on a week to week basis is what you put in your weekly check-in form, what I see in your progress pictures, what I see in your weigh-ins, what I see in your measurements, and I like to use um, Sam uh, Sam Miller's like form of biofeedback where it's it's called shreds. It's keep yeah. it keeps it very simple: sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, and stress. Even if you're seeing good progress at a certain amount of calories, but your biofeedback's off, like that, you know that kind of tells us something is wrong. So just not simply going off like a weight loss, but also looking at the biofeedback, I think plays a huge important factor in that as well. I agree, man. I agree 100%. So make sure that you're paying attention to biofeedback. Don't just put all of your focus into, okay, I'm eating 2,200 calories and losing one pound per week. Like that is great, but make sure you're looking on the back end. I love that you brought up shreds by um, Sam Miller. He does a great job with that. And I, th I think that keeps it very, very simple. If you're tracking your sleep, your hunger, your recovery, your energy, your digestion, and your stress, Pair those up with the amount of calories that you're eating, how your body is responding in terms of weight loss, weight gain, whatever it may be, and then make your intelligent decisions from there. And you're going to end up a lot further in the long run without running your, your mind as well as your body physically, hormonally, and mentally, honestly, into the ground throughout the entire process. It's, it's all one big game that we're, it's all one big cycle that we're just trying to, to manage and, and create the result, but not totally at the expense of, of the other side of the equation. We're trying to find that right balance to be able to keep the two more synergistic with them set with each other. And that's, what's going to get you to where you want to be long-term without fitness con completely consuming your life or running your body into the ground just for yourself to look a certain way, which in the long run you'll find isn't going to make you happy either. So I think that that's super important. Um, it kind of leads into the next question too, sort of, which is, um, how do you calculate your maintenance calorie intake? I would say it's probably one of the most frequent questions that I get, but also, also one of the questions that when I give the answer to, most people bail on because it seems like it's, it's like too much work or like too tedious, but there's really no way to find your maintenance intake without tracking your food for at least like, five, six, seven days of the week. And so the simplest thing I kind of tell people is 
like if someone's brand new and you're just where do I even like start? Like, how do I know how much to eat? You can use some calculator online, but there's so many different variables that go into calculating your own maintenance intake. I think this the easiest thing is just to download an app like MyFitnessPal. Um, MyFitnessPal is the one that you know all our clients use. They're most uh, they're the most familiar with. There are some different ones that you can use. I think like Lose It. There's like Chronometer. There's Fitbit. All sorts of things. Download whatever tracking app that you want to use and just simply go through your week as normal. Don't change any of your current eating habits and just track what you're normally eating and see where that's at. And then along with tracking what you're eating, just take your body weight throughout the week and see where that ends up at the end of that week and take the, don't just look at like, you know, day one, day two, but take the average of your weigh-ins take the average of your calories and macros and see where that's at. And I would say if you're hovering between the same, like two pounds, like say it's a female that weighs 140 pounds. If you finish the week at between like 138 to 142, kind of, you know, kind of plus or minus two, that's probably very, very close to your um, maintenance intakes. You're going to fluctuate a little bit, even if you're at maintenance. Um, and then I think that's how I would start with majority of clients. And an important thing too, is if you're trying to be, be very accurate with it, having a food scale is going to be your friend is because people tend to be pretty inaccurate, especially if you've never checked food before with just trying to like eyeball food, you can eyeball it. If it helps take some stress off, you know, off on you, but having a food scale and just tracking what you're normally eating is going to be the best bet for majority of people just kind of see what they've been eating for the last, you know, few months. And that's probably going to be close to their maintenance intakes because people tend to eat a lot of the same stuff or consistent stuff kind of on a week to week basis. It doesn't kind of fluctuate too much. Yeah. I would agree with that. 100%. The other thing that I would add is that, so how I like to go about it, how, how my brain works is I like to take, to truly understand where somebody's maintenance level of calories is roughly sitting. I like to get at least two weeks worth of data so that I can compare like the first week's average to the second week's average, right? Like what we do with a lot of clients is like that first two weeks is the primer phase, like mm-hmm. just to get them comfortable to make sure the metabolic rate is sitting in a current, in a good position. And so like a lot of people will hear what, what Alex just said about like, just start tracking exactly as you're, you're eating and see how your body comes back. If you do that for two weeks, you're going to have a good understanding of where your maintenance calories is at. As long as you know how to understand, like to read that data and be able to take those daily weigh-ins, turn them into a weekly average, compare the two against each other. If you're losing from week one to week two, um, you're probably in a slight deficit and your maintenance is a little bit higher than that. If you're gaining and you take your average calories with your average weigh-ins, um, and you're gaining, you're probably in a slight surplus. If you are maintaining within like, say a half a pound to two pounds, even three pounds, if like you're on your cycle for that week or whatever it may be, depending on where your hormonal fluctuation is at, um, you're probably eating close to a maintenance level of calories. One other way that you can go about doing this is, um, we have a free guy that's always linked down below. That's called the macro starter kit. That is just a guy that kind of walks you through. I've mentioned this a lot on here, but it just walks you through how you can go about using the, the macro calculator that we 
I don't even use a macro calculator being honest, like with clients that I work with, because I've worked with so many people at this point that I'm not using a calculator to understand where somebody's maintenance level of calories is at. But for you, the listener, it helps just give you a good understanding of, okay, like this is where my, um, this is where my activity level is at my job is how many days per week I work out. Like, this is what my entire lifestyle looks like my height, my weight, my gender, all that kind of stuff, which there's a lot more that plays into, into the fact of where your calories are actually going to be than just those stats. There's your hormonal profile, your, your, uh, dieting history. It's going to come into play as well, but you're going to at least use that calculation and it will give you a rough guide of where your average, like people in your situations, average metabolic rate or maintenance level would roughly be. And what you can do there is start tracking at that level of calories for a two week period, take your weigh-ins throughout that period as well. Each and every day, get your two averages from those two weeks. See if you're gaining, well, then that that number of calories that you calculated has you in a slight surplus. If you're losing, you're in a slight um, deficit. If you're maintaining, then you're probably sitting at roughly a maintenance. So there's two different ways that you can go about that. There's a a million ways that you can skin that cat. But um, yeah, that's basically how I would um, recommend going about it. And again, everybody's maintenance level is going to be different. Our hormones are all going to be different. Our activity levels are all going to be different. Your dieting history and what have you been, how have you been feeding? Have you been under eating for a long time? If you have, well, then your maintenance level is probably suppressed and there needs to be some time taken to build that maintenance level back up to a quality place to be able to bring you back into a deficit into the future as well. So that's how I would go about it. Like I said, there's that link down below the macro starter kit that will help give you a good understanding of where your maintenance level could or should roughly be. Then you can start tracking there for a couple of weeks, see how your body comes back. And then from there you can decide if, okay, my metabolism is in a good place. So I could start a deficit from here if I wanted to, or like, let's say I'm maintaining and I'm on only 1400, 1500 calories. Meaning if I want to lose, like I'm going to have to be on a thousand to 1100 calories because I've been under eating for such a long period of time or overtraining, whatever it may be that I need to take a restore phase to where I'm going to reverse diet, spend more time focusing on overall health, optimizing my metabolism, metabolism, optimizing my hormones to put myself in a position in the future to be able to create that gap into a deficit to start to actually create that result that I want to create. So, so yeah, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. And an important thing to know is just whether you're using a coach to find your maintenance calories, a macro calculator, to find your maintenance calories, tracking your own food just to, you know, for a week or two, just to find maintenance calories. There is no way to just automatically know just week one, like whether you're using like the best calculator in the world or the best coach in the world, it's going to take consistency throughout those two weeks, which doesn't mean like track, you know, Monday through Friday and think and go on Saturday and Sunday and be like, okay, well, I messed up a little bit. I'm just going to get back on track Monday. When you're trying to find your maintenance, it has to be pretty consistent to get the best accurate look at where you're at. But from there, you can, you have a little bit more freedom as to like, do you want to like, you know, just go like a linear diet? Do you want to carb cycle, calorie cycle, whatever you want to do? But when you're finding your maintenance, it has to be a very consistent two weeks to really kind of get a good gauge as to where, you know, your metabolism or basal metabolic rate is currently at starting off your diet. I couldn't agree anymore. I think that's probably the most important aspect to it right? Is you have to be able to lay consistency and adherence at your foundation to be able to collect reliable data in terms of weigh-ins um, to actually, as, as well as calories consumed, to actually see how much you're consuming to compare to 
how your body is responding. And then from there, like you have reliable data to actually understand what's going on. But if you're not being um, super consistent, you're doing the whole bites, licks, licks and snacks things to where you're eating off of your kid's plate. You're not tracking it. You don't think this hundred calorie counts. You don't think this, the big one that I see is like people will consider something that was like ultra healthy. Like let's say it's like some fruit or like a vegetable or something. Or like, Oh, I'm just not going to track that because that was healthy. Like it doesn't really matter. You know what avocados. I mean? Avocados. Yeah. Avocado, like whatever it may be when in reality, that's an extra hundred, 200 calories. Let's say you do that two or three times per day and you're eating an additional say 300, 400 calories. You do that per week. You're eating, let's say an additional, I don't know, 25 to 3000 calories per week. Like that's going to have that data skewed. So you don't truly know how much you're eating to understand how your body's actually responding to the amount that you're eating. So consistency always has to be laid at the foundation of that. And honestly, the last question that we have is a training question, which I'm going to save for next week, because the three questions that we just asked were strictly on nutrition. So we're just going to keep this as a nutrition Q and a for this week. So that's where we are going to end things off. Again, we really appreciate all of you guys for tuning in and listening. Whenever you have questions that you would like to bring onto the show and ask, there is a link always down below. It's lossandlifting.com backslash podcast to where you can go. And there's a form there. It's on our website. You can leave suggestions for future topics on episodes. You can ask specific questions about anything that Alex and I discussed here um, that implies to your personal situation that you would like a little bit of deeper help on in any sort of way. Um, you can suggest guests to come on future episodes, or you can just ask any sort of question that, that you would like to ask to interact with us or give suggestions on anything that you would like to. So go down below, use that link. Um, when you type in your message, you leave your email, that will submit directly to my inbox so that I'll be able to see it. And I make sure that I get back to all of that, all of those from you guys, the podcast listeners who tune in. So I'd really appreciate that as well as again, if you leave the show, a star rating and a review, it just helps the show be able to continue to climb in the Apple ranks to continue to get more and more listeners. And for all of you who have done that, we are extremely grateful for that. There have been a lot of you that have been doing that as they've been forcing it into your head. So I really, really do appreciate that from you guys. I know that Alex does too. If you guys are not following along to Alex or you haven't learned any about much about his story yet, like I mentioned before, you can go back. Um, I believe it's probably like five or six episodes back um, to where we talk a little bit more about Alex's story, how we got started with lost and lifting, um, on all of that kind of stuff to learn a little bit more there. But for, um, those listeners, Alex, people who want to be able to follow along to you on social media or be able to connect with you in any sort of way as well, man, where can people be able to do that? In the show notes, um, Instagram should be linked in there. And then if you just search on Instagram, it's my name with an underscore in the middle. So Alex underscore Johansson. A-L-E-X underscore J-O-H-A-N-N-S-S-O-N, which usually ends up with some typos when people are trying to find it. So that's why I just say just go in the show notes. Uh, you'll see my name pop up in there and then it'll take you right to my profile. Perfect. Appreciate you, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.